scripture reading before the lesson will be out of 1 John, chapter 1. 1 John, chapter 1, we're going to read 5 through 10, and I'll be reading from the New King James Bible. And the Bible is full of passages that draw comparisons to light and darkness. And God, in his wisdom, has given us these passages to help us understand our spiritual relationship with him. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. It's good to be with you this morning. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians and put your bookmark there. We'll uh, pick up there uh, in just a little while. We want to talk this morning for a little bit about the concept or the idea of, of walking. And, you know, walking is one of those things that we typically take for granted until we can't. I was reading about a man by the name of uh, Jan Curie, who was six foot four and very active and confident and in great physical shape. And on August the 5th, 2006, he was enjoying with some friends a day at the beach. He decided that he would jump in the water for a moment just for a quick cool down. And he dove headfirst into a surf and hit a sandbar that he couldn't see. And he was immediately paralyzed from the neck down. He was told on a number of occasions that he would never walk again. And if you read his story, you'll find that after months of visiting various rehab centers and doctors and so on, he finally met a doctor at a rehab center in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, that doctor and he worked together and they created basically a new kind of treatment. And so in May of 2009, he was able to take his first steps in three years without the aid of a walker. There are all kinds of different stories, just like that one, of people who had an accident or an illness of some kind, and they lost their ability to walk. And they were told, you'll never walk again. And they wrestled with it, and they worked, and they labored, and they went through painful hours of rehab only to overcome the odds because walking is that important. Now, as we think about our lives as Christians. As Jack mentioned a moment ago, the Bible uses a number of images. And of course, it uses the image of light and darkness, but it also uses the image of just walking. And when the Bible talks about walking, particularly in the New Testament, it's talking about the way that we live. And so the Christian life is described in a number of passages as a walk. There's the passage that Jack read for us a few moments ago from 1 John chapter 1 
where the Bible says, walk in the light as he is in the light. And then in uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1, the Bible says, there is no condemnation to those who walk in the Spirit. And the idea is those who live their lives after the instruction of the Spirit. That's the idea, but it's talking about the Christian life. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, the, the Apostle Paul talks about how we are to um, uh, walk in a way that is pleasing to God. And that is found in a context in which he's talking about learning more of the Word of God. And he says, listen, one of the reasons why we pray for you constantly that you'll know more of God's Word is because you'll be able to walk in a way that is pleasing to him when you know his Word. So we want to talk this morning about walking and as it pertains to the Christian life, But we want to do it from this book of Ephesians, which is why I asked you to turn there a moment ago. And uh, the book of Ephesians, actually six times in this book, the Apostle Paul will use the word walk. And every time he uses the word walk, it is used to describe a different command, which is to characterize how we live our lives as Christians. We want to look at these six commands today, but with a little bit of a twist. We want to look at those six commands just for a moment to understand what they are and what they require of us. But what we're really interested in is not just the command and what it looks like, but what we really are interested in is the things that will keep us from fulfilling those commands. So we'll call them hindrances to walking. Every time Paul says, walk in, fill in the blank in the book of Ephesians, in the same context, you'll find some sort of negative thing. And that negative thing will prevent us from fulfilling that command. So what we want to do is we want to look at the command and we want to look at the negative. And we want to look at the negative because those are the things that will keep us from fulfilling the commands. And we want to avoid those kinds of things in our lives. So let's start in chapter 2 of Ephesians. What's the first hindrance to walking? Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to notice with me, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. We won't read all of it, but I want you to zoom in with me on verses 8 to 10 in Ephesians chapter 2. And I want us to note for a moment what God's intention is for his people. Paul says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For, notice this, we are his workmanship... Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, underline that last section in verse number 10. What is God's purpose? God's purpose, according to Ephesians 2.10, for his people is that they should walk, they should live in good works. That good works should characterize their life. There are other passages that tell us the same thing. Do you remember Matthew 5.16? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We talked about Colossians 1 verse 10 already, but write that down and then add Titus 2 and verse 14. In Titus 2.14, Paul talks about, he's talking about Christ and he says that Jesus has redeemed us and the purpose is that he might purify to himself a people who are zealous of good works. 
So God's intention, Jesus' intention in dying and purchasing the church with his own blood, that intention was not for us to simply come to worship services on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and to occupy a pew in a building and do nothing else. That's not his intention. God's intention was to redeem a working, active people who are constantly serving and who are constantly obeying and who are constantly living in the way that God wants them to live. That's the idea of these good works that God has before prepared that we should walk in them. But then look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. You see, what we're reminded of in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 is that dead men don't walk. Look what he says. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in once you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. In Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 3, Paul is describing spiritual death. God's goal, God's intention, according to verses 8 to 10, is that his people be walking and living in good works. But dead men don't work. And so the first hindrance to walking in Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 3 is simply spiritual death. You see, a person can't live for the Lord if they're lost in sin. In Romans chapter 6 and verse number 20, the Apostle Paul contrasts, just like he does in Ephesians chapter 2, he contrasts the old man with the new man. And what he talks about in Romans 6 verse 20 is the fact that when we once lived in sin, when we once walked in sin, if you will, he says that was, that was fruitless. It didn't accomplish anything that's good. And that is contrasted with not walking in sin, but rather walking in the light or walking with right in, in righteousness. And now he says, look, you, you weren't accomplishing anything in spiritual death, but now you're alive under the Lord and you are accomplishing things that are good. You're accomplishing things of righteousness. So a person may sit and you study Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 10 and we come to the conclusion that listen God wants me to be active and God wants me to be working and God wants me to be be serving and that is exactly right but that cannot be a reality if I am lost in sin that means the first thing that has to happen is that I have to become a Christian I have to obey the gospel hear believe repent confess and be baptized to be added to the body of Jesus Christ these works that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 10 that's God's intention for his people for the saved members of the church of Jesus Christ but it also means that I may have obeyed the gospel but I may have turned away from it I may have gone back into the world, and so I am now lost. I am living in sin all over again, and I can't walk in good works, Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10, if I'm in sin. And that's because dead men can't live, or dead men can't walk. Dead people can't do anything. So the first hindrance to walking and living and being the person that God wants me to be, that's sin. That's spiritual death. If I'm not a Christian, I can't walk in good works. If I am a Christian, but I have gone back into the world and I'm living in sin again, I can't walk in good works either. My life has to be right with God and I have to be living in the light. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 and following, or Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, that can't be a reality for me. 
Let's look at the second one. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3 with me this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. And I do want to point out before we get there, just because, because I can, I want you to notice Ephesians 2, verses 14 to 16, and I want you to circle and underline that in your Bibles. And I want you to notice that God's intention in bringing the church into existence was to unify Jew and Gentile, reconcile them to God in one body by the cross. God's intention for the church is unity. And no wonder then if God's intention for the church is unity, that in the first three verses of the practical section of this book, the very first thing that Paul will describe, having, descri- having explained to us in great detail in the first three chapters, God's bringing the church into existence and why he did it and what the, uh, what the uh, benefits of it are, the first thing he would say then is, you need to fight to maintain God's intention of unity in the body of Christ. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice our key word is found in verse number 1, where he talks about walking. He says, you're to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. That's the idea that we're called by the gospel of Christ that we wear the name Christian and so our life needs to reflect this great name that we wear and this great gospel that has called us out of this world. But then in verse 2 and 3, he goes on in this context to define what he means. And what he means is, in defining walking worthy of our calling, is being lowly and gentle and long-suffering and bearing with one another in love and endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Lowliness. It's humility. It's recognizing one's littleness and, uh, recog- and uh, having a, a proper view of self. Read 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 5. Gentleness is the idea of having a self-controlled, t- uh, tempered, and meek spirit. Read Matthew 5 and verse 5 where Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29 where Jesus talked about himself and he said, I am meek and lowly in heart. Long-suffering, it's literally patience and it's endurance. And it is the idea of being long or slow and coming to anger. It's a part of the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. And it is a characteristic of biblical love according to 1 Corinthians 13.4. Then there is forbearance. This is an interesting word. The idea literally is to um, put up with one another. Colossians 3 verse 13 describes it as bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And in Romans 2 verse number 4, we read about the mercy and the forbearance of God. And that's the same word or the same idea that's applied to us in Ephesians chapter 4. Endeavoring to keep unity. It's the idea of making every effort to make unity possible. So what is God's desire for us according to Ephesians 4 verses 1 to 3? God's desire is that we live worthy of the gospel that's called us and the name of Christian that we wear. And part of how we do that is that we develop lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another and endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. But now stop for a moment and ask yourself this question. What, What does the opposite of all of those things look like? What's the opposite of lowliness and humility? Well, the opposite, of course, is pride. 
In uh, Proverbs chapter 13 and verse number 10, as Solomon talks about pride, he makes this statement, and I want you to think about, I want you to think about all of these passages in terms of how these things, how these characteristics will negatively affect not just me as an individual, but will have a negative effect on the church as a whole, because the context of Ephesians 4 is on the church. Listen to Proverbs 13. And verse 10, Solomon says this, By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. You have a, a person, show me a person that is full of pride, and I'll guarantee you that the congregation in which he is involved, they have noticed that pride, and that pride of his has had some negative effect in some way on the congregation of God's people where he serves. There's a biblical example of it. Think about 3 John, verse 9 and 10. John is writing and he talks about a man by the name of Diotrephes. And he says, Diotrephes loves to have the preeminence. And he goes on to list a number of the things that Diotrephes did. His effects on the body of Christ. And one of the things is, he kicks people out of the body. He removes them from the church. Why did he do that? All because of his pride. God wants us to be humble and God wants us to preserve unity, but pride will never do that because pride is not interested in the good of the body. Pride is interested only in the good of self. What about gentleness? Gentleness is the idea of, self, of a self-controlled, tempered spirit. What's the opposite of gentleness? Well, it's anger. It's wrath. It is a lack of self-control. It is a person who explodes and who allows his emotion to overwhelm and to control him. And interestingly enough, in this same chapter, Paul has a lot to say about anger. Look at Ephesians 4 verse 26. He says, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Look at Ephesians 4 and verse 31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another and tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, even as God and Christ forgave you. Again, think about these passages as they pertain to our effect, my effect as an individual on the body of Jesus Christ. If I, as an individual, am someone who is constantly overwhelmed and controlled by anger and by wrath, I'm always losing my temper and I have no self-control whatsoever, that's going to hinder me from walking in a way that is worthy of the calling with which I've been called. And it's going to hinder my efforts to help promote unity in the body of Jesus Christ. Read Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 and following. And notice how with Abel, when he, or excuse me, with Cain, when Cain kills Abel, that that all can go back to a moment in which Cain's offering is not accepted. And God has a discussion with him and God says, listen, you're going to have to decide what you're going to do here. He says, if you do well, then reward is coming. But if you will not do well, sin lies at the door. And what God is getting at is, look, you're angry now you have to determine what you're going to do with your anger. Your anger can either be channeled in a positive or in a negative direction. Which choice did Cain make? He murdered his brother and he was punished for it. And God's word remembers him. Uh, God's word remembers him as someone who is controlled by his hatred and by his anger. What about, what about long-suffering? Well, the opposite of long-suffering, of course, is impatience. 
It's somebody who's willing to, uh, uh, quick to cast their brother aside. Read Matthew chapter 18, verse 29 and 30. What about the opposite of endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit? Well, the opposite of that is simply a disregard for unity. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18, and 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25. In that section, you remember the Apostle Paul deals with the church at Corinth who were arguing and fighting with one another. My spiritual gift is better than yours. I'm more important than you are, and so on. And Paul has this long section where he talks about how God's intention, just like in Ephesians 2, 3, and 4, is the unity of the body. They didn't care so much about it. Paul says, you need to. What's going to hinder me from walking in a way that is worthy of the calling with which I've been called? A divisive attitude. Instead of lowliness and humility, I'm prideful. Instead of gentleness and self-control, I'm controlled by anger. Instead of patience and long-suffering, I am impatient and quick to cast my brother aside. Instead of fighting and striving and making every effort for unity to be possible, I have a complete disregard for unity and don't give it a second thought at all. Divisive attitude, that'll hinder me from being the person God wants me to be. Let's look at a third. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 17 and following. The third hindrance to walking is what we'll simply call a carnal mindset, a worldly mindset. Look at Ephesians 4, and first I want you to notice with me verse 20 through 23. Paul makes the following statements in Ephesians 4, verse 20 to 23. He says, But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now there are four things that Paul mentions in these three verses. Number one, he says, you were and you continue to be taught differently. He's talking about walking here and our command, according to going back up to verse 17, by the way, that you no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. God's desire is that we walk or that we live differently than the people in the world that are around us. And he develops that in verse 20 to 23. You were taught, he says, by him, and the idea is you continue to be taught by him. You have been taught to be different. That's what the Bible tells us. And then second, he says, we're to put off. It's like taking off old dirty clothing and throwing them away and not going back to them again. Put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, he says, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Number three, we're to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. That means you change how you think. You no longer think in the way that a worldly person thinks, but you think in the way that a godly person thinks. Allow the word of God to, to uh, control your, your thoughts and your mind. And then number four, he says, put on. You put on the new man, verse number uh, 24, which is created according to God in righteousness and holiness. So again, just like the other th uh, two passages, this is God's intention. This is what God wants. He wants us to continue to be taught by the word of God. He wants us to think differently than the world around us. He wants us to put off the old man. He wants us to change the way that we think and put on the new man. Well, what will keep us from doing it? Look at the verses that go on before it. He says this, I write and testify to you and I, I'm telling you that you are no longer to walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Well, how do they walk? 
They walk in the futility of their mind. Futility is the idea of being empty or useless. He says um, they have their understanding darkened. Literally, it's covered in darkness. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. What he's talking about is the old, worldly, carnal way of thinking. And this is illustrated for us in great detail in Romans chapter 1. You remember when Paul talks about how the Gentiles had rejected God. And because they rejected God, God rejected them. And the result of that was all kinds of ungodliness and unrighteousness that all began with their mindset. And Paul is describing the same thing here. Their thought process is empty and vain, he says. It's useless and it's dark and they're alienated from God. And the reason is because they've rejected God. Think about all of the passages in the Bible which tell us about the importance of, of how we direct our thoughts. Philippians 4 and verse 8. Think on things that are pure and that are holy and that are lovely and true and of good report. Give your mind over to these things, he says. Romans chapter 5, uh, excuse me, verse, uh, chapter 8, verses 5 to 7, to be uh, carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God and it cannot bring itself under the control of the law of God, but the spiritual mind does the opposite. It is controlled by the law of God. Think about Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace and patience, and gentleness, and godliness, and self-control, but, the, fruit, but the, work of, the works of the flesh, completely the opposite. Uncleanness, and fornication, and theft, and adultery, and so on and so forth. The difference between the two, the carnal mind versus the spiritual mind, Ephesians chapter 4. So God says, I want your mind and I want your life to be pure and I want it to be holy, but the one thing that's going to keep me from making that a reality is to, in borrowing the language of Scripture, not have God in my thoughts. To not have my heart and my mind filled with his word. To not acknowledge his existence and his uh, deity and the fact that he is Lord of my life. That's the contrast in Ephesians 4, verse 17 to uh, 19, and then verse 20 to uh, 24. Hindrances to walking. God wants me to walk in good works, Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. But dead men can't walk. And so if I'm dead in sin, I can't live for God. A divisive attitude. God wants me to be humble, and he wants me to be gentle, and he wants me to be patient, and he wants me to have forbearance, and he wants me to be interested in building unity. But if I'm prideful and controlled by anger, and if I'm impatient, and I don't care about unity, I have a divisive attitude, that's going to... That's going to hinder me from being what God wants me to be. And then a carnal mindset. God wants me to think in the way that the Bible tells me to think. He wants me to live a life that is holy and a life that is pure. He wants me to take off the old man and put on the new man. But if my mind is full of worldliness and my thoughts are full of carnality and I'm not interested in bringing my mind into the captivity of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, verse number 5, then that carnal mindset is going to hinder me from walking and living in the way God wants me to walk, the way God wants me to live. We're going to put a bookmark here, and this evening we have three more 
uh, points that we want to visit from the book of Ephesians that talk about these hindrances that keep us from walking or living the way that God wants us to. So we hope that you'll be back again this evening as we continue this study. But now we're going to offer the Lord's invitation. And it may be that there's someone here that has a need to respond, to become a child of God, to become a Christian. You believe in the deity of Jesus, John 8, 24. If you're willing to repent of your sins, Luke 13 and verse 3 and 5, and confess your faith, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2 and verse number 38, then God will add you to the church this morning. Maybe you're a Christian this evening, this morning, but as you think about your life and these things that will keep us from living and being who God wants us to be, maybe you see some of those in your own life and you want to make that right. We'd love to be able to help you. If there's any need that you have at all, won't you come forward and let it be known while we stand and sing the invitation song together.